Lazarus must have been a hell of a guy. We don't know much about him. We don't know how old he is or what he does for a living. We never hear him speak. All we know is that he has sisters, he's Jesus' friend, and he's loved. So why doesn't Jesus start running as soon as he hears that Lazarus is on his deathbed? If he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus like we're told he does, then he must not be playing games with them or using their pain to teach the crowd a lesson. Love does not work like that. Then how does it work? Because the way John tells this story, Jesus' intentional delay almost sounds like the setup for a pretty gruesome magic trick. Let's start with Jesus' attempt at an explanation. He says, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Sheesh. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, I wish John's Jesus would just let his actions speak. Words like this can sometimes do more harm than good. To be clear, this is not about God causing illness, creating a crisis just so that we can be saved and then give God credit. That's manipulation, not salvation. And when we talk about someone being glorified these days, we're usually referring to flattering treatment in the press. That is not what glory means here. When we see God's glory, we see the character of God made visible. And if Jesus is glorified, it means that something good, something good about God is shining through him. So whatever is about to happen to Lazarus Jesus sees it, for better or worse, as a sign. The Gospel of John is big on signs. It was the last of the Gospels to be written. John figures we know the stories about Jesus already, so he focuses on a few key events. There's a challenge with signs, though. Think about traffic signs, for instance. While they can be useful in pointing us in the right direction or in how to avoid collisions, they don't tell us everything we need to know. They certainly do not explain everything. We're asked to trust that those who put the signs there know something valuable and that sooner or later there's going to be another sign to point the way. There's also a risk in going back to Judea for Jesus. The religious leaders in Jerusalem have already threatened him with violence. Returning to Bethany just two miles away endangers not only him, but his disciples as well. He has more than just his own life to consider. And doing anything 
trustworthy as Lazarus, that could make his friend a target, too. Regardless, he eventually decides that the time is right to head back. Too little, too late. At least that's how Mary and Martha see it at first. Their brother has been dead for four days by the time Jesus arrives. We'll talk more about Mary on the Monday of Holy Week. For now, let's focus on Martha. Martha does not really care about being polite. No wonder she and Jesus are friends. She puts it right out there. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, he doesn't contradict her, but he doesn't exactly agree with her either. The truth is, it is not always his job to prevent death. As if death is the worst thing that can happen to us. It's not. If we consider that death does not mean what we think it does, it's not our true end. He tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, life, for Jesus anyway, cannot be confined to what happens while we are breathing. True life is knowing that we are in the presence of God, whose love and presence do not end when our breath stops. To Jesus, to be alive means to be known and loved by God. And by that definition, in God's eyes, we never die, regardless of what happens to our bodies. That must have been hard for Martha to understand. It's hard for us, too. But he doesn't ask her if she understands. He asks if she believes, if she trusts him. And she does. And because she trusts him, she can trust his promises. It's not unlike Ezekiel's response to God in the Valley of the Dry Bones when asked, can these bones live? Oh, Lord God, you know. And because you know what comes next, God, I don't have to. I don't have to understand everything. I just have to keep following the signs. One breath at a time. So then, bringing Lazarus back from death, even temporarily, is some kind of sign, then what kind of sign is this? It points us toward God, certainly. Toward the God of Ezekiel who can bring new life even when all hope is lost. It reveals something about God and in that sense counts as glory. But the moment when God shines most clearly through Jesus in this story is not when he calls Lazarus back to life. 
It's the moment just before, when he weeps. We're not told what brings him to tears. It could be simple compassion, the refusal to let anyone be alone in their pain. Or perhaps it's his awareness of the pain his own death will soon cause his loved ones, his mother, his family, his friends, and his desperate wish to spare them. Or maybe this really is just about his friend. He realizes that his time with Lazarus on this earth will still be cut short, not because of Lazarus's death, but because of his own. And we too, we too can know that death is not the end and we can still weep for all that's been lost. And Jesus' tears remind us, God is with us here too. In the silence that follows, I invite you to consider what life means for you and how you might let the love of God expand that definition. Who is coming to your mind this morning? Who on either side of eternity might you need to lift up to God's love and God's presence? In the name of the one we can trust, even when we don't understand. Amen.